0: Well, how many of you guys uh, were alive in 1997? Let me see any hands. Oh my gosh, there's more of you than I expected. Wow, I don't feel like as old, okay? Now I know... I was 16 the summer of 97. I'm guessing you weren't anywhere near that. Uh, Probably if you were alive in 97, my chances are you may have been in diapers or just a little bit beyond that. Okay. But the summer of 97, wow, I just said that. This sounds like the opening to a book or something, but the summer of 97, I was 16 and um, I, I had this old hunting Jeep that was going to be my car. Now, this hunting Jeep that my family had was a 1983. Okay. So I know now it's like going way back, like beyond like you, and maybe even before your concept of time, like you thought maybe Genesis was written in 1983. Okay. It, it wasn't. And, and so in 1983 though, there was this, this Jeep that, that, that we had and I, we still had it. It was our hunting Jeep. It was on a hunting lease and it was going to be my car now in case you're like, that seems like it was an old car. It was okay. Even for me in 97, it was a 14 year old car. It had been through a lot. And so, uh, my mom and I decided I was going to spend some of my money and her money to fix this Jeep up. And so I got it painted. I put tires on it. Uh, I did all this stuff to it, uh, to make it like suitable for me. And the whole time, my dad's like, you're wasting your money. You're wasting your money. It's an old car. It's not going to last. There's no reason to put that kind of money in there. but I didn't care. Okay. Because it looked terrible. The The hood was rusting all the way through so you could see the engine when it drove, you could hear it like coming a mile away because it made this God awful noise. And, and so I wanted these things fixed if I was going to drive it. And I'm sure some of you can kind of sympathize with me. Okay. So I, we put some money into this car and it wasn't worth a whole lot, but I, but I, we ended up putting several thousand like into this old hunting Jeep to make it look nicer and better and cooler for me. Okay. So, so we do that less than a year. I'm not even through my sophomore year of high school. I'm out mudding in this Jeep. I burn the transmission up. It's done. Like it is done. Okay. $3,000 of, of my money that I worked for mowing yards and washing cars, doing all kinds of stuff. Okay. Down the drain in about six to nine months. Wasted. Okay. That same summer of 97, Apple's stock hit an all-time low an all-time low. And if I had put $3,000, okay, into Apple stock that summer of 97, today, people say different things, but we all know, okay, it's tens of millions of dollars, okay, if I had invested that same $3,000 that summer into Apple stock when it was an all-time low, that summer instead of wasting it on that Jeep. Now, now I could have never known, you could never know how something like that was going to happen and how it was all going to shake out. Okay. But if I had known what was going to happen in the future, I could have invested my money differently at the time. Wouldn't you love to know wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to know if, if there was something in the future that you wanted, that right now you could do something, you could change something, you could invest your, your time, your money into something that you knew would profit in the long run, 20 years later, maybe? I mean, wouldn't you just love that? It's like something out of Back to the Future. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Back to the Future, the movie, Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3. Okay, some of you know, okay, this is Marty McFly, goes back in time, and then he goes forward in time, and then in Part 3, he goes back to the Old West. Okay, great, great series. Okay, so so in this movie, though, in Part 2, he finds out, he finds out that in the future, he gets in a car wreck because he's an idiot. He breaks his hand. He can't play his guitar anymore. So he finds this out and he goes into the future to try to, try to prevent this from happening. And he does. But then everything else also changes. Okay, so, so I can't get in all the details. movie. you'll have to go watch it. Okay, it's a classic. Okay, but in this movie, he finds out something that happens in the future. And he decides, I want to do something about that because I can. I could do something right now to change the future better for me. Listen, God has given you a way to change something in your future right now, right now. He's given you a way to look into the future and to do something and to change something right now that can mean all the difference for you, all the difference in the world 10 years from now, 20 years from now. 30 years from now, and I want to show you. Go to John chapter 15 if you got a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go to raiderchurch.com on your phone, on the web browser, select message notes, and you can follow along with us the verses and the points, and everything will be there. John chapter 15. We are in the middle of a series uh, called The Purge. And um, if you haven't been with us or you missed a week or whatever, go on our podcast, go on our website or whatever. uh, Get caught up because tonight will make a little bit more sense to you um, if you know what has happened in week one and week two. But I'll give you two quick things about week one and week two to kind of get you just really broadly caught up. Okay, In week one, we said this. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, remain in me. And that's what we said. If we want to live a fruitful life, a a prosperous life, a a flourishing life, he said, remain in me. And so we said, if we want to be uh, great husbands and wives and moms and dads and workers and brothers and sisters, sons, whatever, if we want to be great at those things, the Bible would say, if you want to be godly you want to be a godly wife, a godly mom, a godly dad, a a godly husband. and And I would challenge you that you should want that. You should desire that. That should be a prayer of your heart. Then we said we need to remain in Christ five minutes at a time. Five minutes at a time we remain in Christ and he will do something in us and through us that we can't do for ourselves. So we said we got to remain in Christ. But we also said that's not just some pie in the sky idea. And so we said he's given us Some ways to remain in him, some practical ways. And so, week two, last week, we said we remain in Christ by remaining in his word, remaining in community. And there was a third one, and now I can't remember it. Okay. So, remain in the word, remain in community, and remain in love. That's what it was. It came back to me. All right. So, remain in love. So we said, those are the practical ways that God has given us to remain in Christ. But here's the interesting thing about this word in Greek. We said this in week one, the remain word here in John 15. This word remain means to stay, to reside, to abide even, some of your translations might say. That's, that's what it means, to stay close to Christ. And if we stay close to him, we reside in him, we stay with him, we abide in him, then it will change us from the inside out. It will prune us, cut off the bad branches, and it will grow and flourish us. If we will remain in Christ, if we'll stay with him, abide with him, reside with Christ, stay close to him. But here's the other interesting thing about this word. In Greek, here's what it means. It means to stay with the expectation of something happening in the future. I reside in Christ, I remain in Christ with the expectation that by staying with him, something is changing in me and something is gonna be different in the future if I remain in him. I told you this story in week one about how one of my mentors, Greg, said, if you walk with Jesus five minutes at a time, if you stay close to him and remain in him five minutes at a time, you will be amazed where you are 20 years from now. And for me, that was nearly 20 years ago. And I'm amazed at where God has brought me and what he has done in my life and the things that he has given me that I do not deserve. But I've remained in Christ. I've tried to remain in Christ and I've, I've, I've fallen. Sometimes I'm crawling, and I'm stumbling forward, but I've tried to remain in Christ, remaining in his word, remaining in community, remaining in love. And when we do that, it's amazing what will happen in the future, even 20 years from down the road. But that's the idea here in John 15. When Jesus says, remain in me, stay with me, reside, abide, we do that. We stay close to Christ because we're expecting that as we do, he's changing us from the inside out. But then something is going to be different in the future because of it. So much so, the idea in Greek is that we can expect it. We can expect something to be different in the future, for things to change in the future as we reside, as we abide in Christ. And so tonight, as we finish up, we're just looking at what are these things we can expect to change in the future. We've been saying this whole series that if we remain in Christ, he will make us more fruitful. He will make us. He will cause our lives to flourish, that we'll be better at life if we remain in Christ, that we will be better fruitful. We will flourish. We will prosper. And so tonight I want to show you the things that we can expect to happen in us and to happen in the future. If we will remain in Christ in the ways that we've been talking. So let's go. John chapter 15. Here's the first one. Jesus says this in verse seven, but if you remain in me, so then again, it's back to week one and week two, the ways that we remain in him. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, watch what he says. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. You, you remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now, disclaimer. Okay, here we, we got to give you some background, some context here. Okay, here's, here's what's happening. Is that as you remain in Christ and you remain in his word, his word remains in you. What happens, Romans 12, 2 happens. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You begin to think differently. You begin to think God's thoughts. You literally begin to have the Bible would call it the mind of Christ. And so now when you're praying for things, when you're asking for things, you're praying and asking for things that are in line with God's will, already in line with his will. You're praying and asking for his word to come true. So obviously it's going to come true. This isn't, hey, I want a Ferrari. Boom, it happens. I want $10 million in Apple stock now. I wish I would have done it. I didn't. Uh, I want it now. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. But Jesus says, you remain in me. My words remain in you. You can ask for anything you want and it will be granted to. Here's what, here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. If we remain in him, here's what we can expect now and in the future. Here's what we can expect. You can expect access. You remain in me. You stay close to Christ. You're staying close to your high priest, your everlasting, eternal high priest who stands between you and the father as your mediator. And as your high priest, he's your advocate And so when you pray, you're praying to God through Jesus and you get to go straight to the throne room of God when you pray in Jesus' name. That is access like you've never imagined. Access to the throne of God. In fact, in Hebrews it says, come boldly to the throne of God's grace and ask for help and mercy when you need it most. You can come straight to God. You've got access to God when you remain in Christ, when you're close to him. You know, several years ago, I was at Spanky's, uh, which is just manna from heaven. And I thank you God for Spanky's. And so I I was there and um, I, had my kids with me. My wife wasn't with me. And so, uh, she's typically not, when I go to Spanky's. she goes to do something else. And, and so I take the boys and my daughter to, to spanky's cause she's got something else to do and she didn't want to go spanky's, but we'll go to spanky's without her. So, so we're at spanky's. It's one of those times I'm with my kids. We order our food, we sit them down. I've got to go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom, they're all sitting. I told her, hey, sit here, stay here. Don't move, don't go anywhere. Someone comes, you yell and scream. I'll come running, okay, I'll figure it out, okay, but, but, but stay here. So I go to the bathroom. Well, if you've ever been to the bathroom upstairs at Spanky's, you know there's like a door that separates you from all of upstairs, okay? So I'm up there, I'm going to the bathroom. All of a sudden I hear this pounding on the door. It's my daughter Nixon. Dad, I need help. I'm like, Nixon. Go, go sit back down with your brothers. Go sit back down. Daddy's busy. Okay, daddy's busy. Pounding on the door. Dad, she doesn't care who's around. She just comes straight to the door. She's pounding on the door. Dad, I need your help. Nixon, daddy's busy. Go sit down at the table. I'll be with you in a minute. She didn't care what I was doing. She didn't care what was going on. She didn't care who was there. She came straight, literally to the throne and pounded on that door because she knew her dad was on the other side and her dad could help her. Now, in case you've been here for three or four years and you're like, I've heard this story before. It's because it happened again last night. (laughs) The same exact thing. We're upstairs at Spanky's. It's after a baseball game. My wife had something else to do. And sure enough, I sit them all down. I go to the bathroom. Everything's settled. And she comes pounding on the door again. Dad, I want a coloring sheet. I want to color the dog. We'll take care of that in a minute. Okay, go sit back down, go sit back down. So I come and sit down. She's like, dad, can I get my coloring?" She's like, no, you're not getting your coloring sheet. I told you to stay here, sit down. And she tears up and cries. So then what do I do? I go and get her coloring sheet. Okay, so it worked. But here's the thing. She knew as my child, she has direct access to me. She didn't have to ask anybody else. She didn't go through anyone else. She didn't have to follow me on social media or send me an email or a direct message or something like that. She didn't call me on my cell. She comes straight up to the door of a bathroom and says, I'm coming in. You are my dad. I need help. You can help me. She comes straight to me. Because she knows I'm her dad. She knows I love her. She knows I want what's best for her. And she knows that I can help her. Listen, you've got direct access to God. When you remain in Christ, because you're a follower of Jesus, and those who are followers of Jesus, we talked about this in week one, so I want to make sure you understand the context. People who are followers of Jesus remain in Christ. That's just the way it is. So when you remain in Christ as a follower of Jesus, you've got direct access to God. And, and here's what you've got access to. First of all, you've got access to help. Any, any of you need help with something? Struggling financially? Struggling with school? Struggling with a dating relationship? A, a friend? A boss? A coworker? A professor? A teaching assistant? A, a high teaching assistant? A, a teacher that doesn't, a professor that doesn't speak English? I mean, whatever you've got that you need help with. You've got access to help. Your family's struggling. You're not sure what you're going to do when you graduate. I know there's a lot of you here tonight, and you're graduating, and you're not sure what you're going to do. You're not sure how you're going to provide for yourself. Listen, you need help. You can come straight to your father. You've got access to God. You've got access to help. You've got access to mercy. You're struggling in your relationship with Jesus, struggling spiritually, going through a dry season. Listen, it happens to all of us. You've got access to help. Going through a trial, a tragedy, dealing with anxiety, depression, you've got access to help. Hebrews says, when you need it most, you can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help. And here's the second thing, you've got access to, got access to power beyond your wildest imagination. You've got access to power. When we come to the Father and we, we pray, we come to his throne of grace because we've got access, we've got access to his help, we, we've got access to his power. This is the one the Bible says who spoke and hung the earth and the sun in its place. He he spoke and those things were formed. He, He spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke and things happened by the power of his word. Listen, this isn't... Some weak power like Thanos where you have to get all these rocks and then snap your fingers or something, okay? He doesn't have to do that. He speaks and things happen. They come into existence. Out of nothing, God can speak and everything comes into existence. In Latin, it's called ex nihilo. God speaks and he creates out of nothing. And so you've got a situation where there's no hope. It seems like there's no way out. God speaks and there's a way. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples one time and there's a wind and waves and storm and the boat's shaking. They think they're all gonna die. Jesus is asleep and they wake him up and they say, don't you care? You ever wonder that? Don't you care? We're all about to die here. Don't you care? Where are you at? Wake up. You ever felt like that? Jesus, are you asleep again? Like, are you sleeping? Do you not see what's going on here? Like, can you wake up? Do you not care? Jesus gets up and he looks at the wind and the waves, the storm that's raging. And Jesus just does this He goes, shh. And it says, The wind and the waves and everything died down. It got silent, it got quiet and even the disciples were quiet. They didn't know what to say. In fact, they were scared. And they start looking at each other and they start talking to each other and like, who is this guy? Who is this? The wind and the waves obey him. He speaks and they and they, they obey him. You, you've got access to power when you remain in Christ more power than you could possibly imagine. Jesus, when finding out his friend Lazarus was sick, decided to not go immediately to Lazarus' side to heal him, and so Lazarus dies. Well, then Jesus shows up. Lazarus has been dead for a few days, and he shows up, and Mary and Martha tell Jesus this, you're too late. You ever thought that? Jesus, you're too late. I've already got cancer. This person died. The financial aid didn't come through. I failed the test. I didn't get the job. Jesus, if you were thinking about helping, I you know, appreciate, you know, whatever, but, but you're too late. And Jesus shows up and he said, no, 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 this this happened so that you would see the the glory of God. He said, if you believe in me, the resurrection and the life, even though you die, you'll live. Even though you die, if you believe in me, you will live. Almost as if Jesus was saying God's plan is not to just keep you alive for the rest of your life here on this earth. It's almost like he wants to give you a new life, eternal life on a new earth. So Jesus goes over to a tomb where Lazarus has been laid and again speaks and just says, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man who was dead, dead as in dead, got up and walked out of the tomb and he came back to life because Jesus spoke two words. He said, come out. And a dead guy gets up and comes back to life. This is who we're dealing with. He speaks and creates out of nothing. He speaks and gives life to the dead. And you know, one day too, our our great hope is that even though we've been saved, and that's already true. It's almost, it's kind of like it's not yet true. In fact, there's this idea in the Bible already, but not yet. We're already, we've already been saved, but we're going to be saved one day. And so one day you will die. 10 out of 10 of us will die. And you may get sick, and Jesus might heal you, and this may happen, and, and Jesus might heal you, and then he might, who knows, he, he, he might do it again. But, but one day you're going to die. It's the curse of sin. Paul says in Philippians, his body is just like a tent. He talks about death almost like like it's a doorway to something else. And so one day you'll you'll die. But if you've believed in the resurrection and the life, just like Lazarus, Jesus says, come out. And the dead comes back to life. And in an instant, in the blink of an eye, the the, the Bible says, you're, you're with your father in heaven if you've believed in Jesus. Jesus speaks and things happen. You have access to this kind of power. So if you remain in Christ, you can expect access. Secondly, let's keep going. Jesus says this in verse 11. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. When you remain in Christ, you can expect it now and in the future. What a promise. You can expect joy. You can expect joy. Oh, didn't come up. There it is right there. You can expect joy. In Psalm 16, it says that in your presence is the fullness of joy and eternal pleasure is at your right hand. You can expect joy and pleasure in the presence of God. Now, and as you remain in Christ five minutes at a time, you can expect that in your future. You're you're, you're worried about who you're gonna marry, what job you're gonna have, what things are gonna look like. Here's what I can promise you. If you will remain in Christ, you can expect joy. You see, some people think, well, I don't want to follow Jesus or, or maybe the whole Jesus thing is boring because they've, they've grown up thinking that God's all about telling you what to do and what not to do. He's not about your joy. He's not about he didn't care whether you're happy or not. He just wants to keep you in line. He wants to keep you from having fun. And he wants to keep you in line, doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. And we grow up and we think that's what Christianity is all about. And we don't want anything to do with God because we think all it's about is about keeping in the line, staying in line, not messing up, doing the right things, not having fun. And we couldn't be more wrong. God is all about your joy, your eternal joy and pleasure. Why do you think he gave us sex? He doesn't see you doing something or a married couple getting hooked up, you know, whatever. And think, oh my gosh, what are they doing? They figured, what is that? I didn't plan on that. I didn't think about that. I didn't realize they would figure out that they could put that there, okay? That's not, God's not surprised by that, okay? He gave us that in other things like taste buds so that we can taste Spanky's fried cheese, okay? So he gave us those things for our pleasure, for our joy. He's all about your joy because he's a great dad and dads want their kids to thrive and to flourish and to be happy. Listen, I, I don't tell my kids not to run out in the street because I wanna keep them in line. I don't want them to get hurt and die. I tell my kids all the time because they'll, they'll run through parking lots or, or we get out of a restaurant or whatever and they'll run out into the parking lot and they're running, they're running to the car or whatever. Or this happened this week. We, we were coming back from a movie and they're sprinting out to our car all the way down this parking lot. And I tell them all the time, stay with us, don't run. You're small, cars can't see you. They will squish you like a bug. Okay, so stay with us. And I'll remind Nixon all the time, why do we not run away in the parking lot? Because I'll get squished like a bug. Right. <laughs> I'm not doing that to keep her in line or because I don't want her to have fun running through the parking lot. That's not why I do that or why I say that. I want her to live and to thrive. I want her to be happy. I want her to be filled with joy. I want her to be overflowing with joy. And so I tell them, don't run through the parking lot. I tell them, don't juggle the butcher knife. Put the butcher knife down. You'll get hurt. It's not to keep them in line or to keep them from having fun. I want them to live. You see, oftentimes we're looking at God all wrong. He's really just like a great dad. He wants you to live and thrive and be filled with joy. And when we do things his way, we live. All throughout the Bible, the challenge is choose life that you may live. Choose life. Choose joy. That's the heart of the Father. He's all about your joy. And what he's telling us here is if you will remain in me, the way you were designed to do life, remaining in Christ, you will experience the Fullness of joy and eternal pleasure in my presence. But when you leave my presence, you go outside of my presence, you reject my presence. You're choosing death. You're not choosing another way. You're choosing death. And as a great dad, Jesus continues to say, come to me. Come to me. Come back to me. Return to me. I want you to be filled with joy. And so if you will remain in Christ, here's what the scripture, here's what Jesus is promising you right now. You will have a life filled with joy. It doesn't mean you won't go through hard times. It doesn't mean there won't be trials. It doesn't mean there won't be tragedy. What it does mean is that even in the midst of those trials and those tragedies, you will be filled, the Bible says, with an inexpressible joy, with a supernatural peace because you've got a hope that's beyond this life, that's greater than the circumstances of this life. You will be filled with joy. It's a promise. If you'll remain in Christ this year, five minutes at a time, then 20 years from now, you will be filled with joy. What a great promise. And if we could do something now to impact our future, our future joy, wouldn't you do it? Is the promise that Jesus gives us in the scripture. And then finally, he tells us this in verse 15. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. He's talking to those who remain in him. Now, those who remain in me, now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the father told me. Here's what you can expect when you remain in Christ. You can expect Freedom. You can expect freedom when you remain in Christ. The Bible is clear. That in your sin, in Ephesians 2, you are dead in your sin. And so in that way, the Bible will tell us in Romans, you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, so you're a slave to death. And so when Jesus says... You were slaves. Like, before you met me, before you gave your life to me, you were a slave, Jesus says. You were a slave to sin that leads to death, and so you're a slave to death. And in fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul says, because you're a slave to sin that's a slave to death, you're actually a slave to Satan himself. You're following him. You may not have realized it. Because the devil, the Bible says, is the angel of lies. Is the angel of light. That sometimes a path or a way will seem good, it will look good to us in our our minds, or it will feel good to us us in our hearts. But our hearts, our minds are leading us astray. They're leading us down a path of death. So in Ephesians 2, it says that we're dead in our sin and we're following the prince of this world. It's talking about Satan. We're slaves to sin, we're, we're slaves to death, we're... We're slaves to Satan. Romans 5 says we're actually in our sin. We're enemies of God. We are enemies of God in our sin. But Jesus says, when you came to me, you gave your life to me, you became friends with God. See, that's what's amazing is Romans 5 says that for those who are in Christ, they've received peace with God. They were his enemy. They were at war with God as his enemy before you came to Christ. But when you give your life to Jesus, Because of Jesus' death on the cross, your sin's forgiven, and now you're no longer at war with God. Christ has made peace between you and God. So now you're friends with God through Jesus. And here's what happens when that transition, when that transaction takes place, when you give your life to Christ. You're you're no longer, the the chains of sin and death and fear are broken. And you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to, to fear and to death. No, now you're friends with God, Jesus says. You're friends with me. And so for followers of Jesus that remain in Christ, they are no longer slaves to sin and death and fear. No, they've been set free. You have Freedom. You have freedom. You've been set free from those things. But sometimes, as followers of Jesus, we go back to the things that we were held captive to. Sometimes we'll we'll go back to the sin the Bible says that so easily entangles us. Sometimes we'll we'll be tempted to go back to the things that we were held slaves to. We'll go back to our captor. And maybe you've heard of this syndrome. It's actually got a name today. It's called the Stockholm Syndrome. You've heard of this? Where a captor will actually begin to have sympathy for and empathize with and even defend those who have captured them. They will develop a a connection there, a reliance upon them. And there's even been cases where people will fall in love with those that have held them captive. It's called the Stockholm syndrome. And I can't think of a better illustration for what often happens to us as Christians. We're, we're living in sin. We're enslaved to sin. We give our lives to Jesus. We've been set free from those things. But there's something about that sin, that, the temptation to, to go back to that sin that so easily entangles us. We will go back. We will be drawn back to the things that were our captive. Maybe I'm the only one, but my guess is there's some of you in here tonight, you, you're a follower of Jesus, but man, you, you get drawn back to the things that were your captor, the things that you're in slavery to. And so it could be sin, it could be a substance. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a guy you keep going back to when you know it's not right for you or a girl you keep going back to because you know it's not right for you. But that's where you find comfort. And there's some identity there. There's some security there. Listen, it's nothing but Stockholm syndrome. It happens to us all the time when we get drawn back to the things that do nothing but kill us and destroy us. You know, it happened a lot with Israel all throughout the Old Testament. You saw how God delivered Israel from slavery to the Egyptians. And they're going through the desert. This is after the Red Sea. They're going through the desert and they're they're hungry and and they start telling Moses who, who led them out. They start telling Moses, hey, we know that God delivered us uh, with a mighty hand and, and with miraculous signs and wonders. And we know that he parted the Red Sea for us so that we could come through on the other side and, and so that we could be free and go to this promised land. Listen, we know all that, but we're hungry. We're we're thirsty and, and we're not we're not seeing answers to that when we want to see. It. And so maybe we should just go back. Maybe here's what they would begin to tell Moses. They would begin to complain. Maybe we should just go back and decide slavery with the Egyptians. They would say it over and over and over again. Maybe we should just go back to what enslaved us. And so God did what what God does. As we read in John 15, he began to cut and to prune. And the people that would continue to say that would cause Israel to wander in the desert even longer and God to wipe out even more of them, to let more of them die off because they kept wanting to go back. They didn't get to enter the promised land. They didn't get to receive what what God had for them because they kept wanting to go back. They kept dealing with Stockholm syndrome. They kept wanting to go back to their captors. Then they get to the edge of the Jordan finally. Most of the older generations have have died off now. They get to the edge of the Jordan and, and now it's time Joshua's leading them. Moses has died and they, they, they send out this scout party to go into the, to the promised land to check out the... The countries, the, the people groups that were on the other side of the Jordan in the promised land that were occupying the land that God had promised them. And so they send out these scout parties and they, they go in and, and they're scouting and they're spying and, and, and they come back with this report of the people groups that were in the promised land. And they start telling everyone, they start spreading the word. These people are way too big. They're way too strong. They're way too numerous. They are like giants and we are like grasshoppers. They will squish us like bugs. And they begin to spread this bad report. And then again, they begin to say, maybe we should just go back. Maybe we were better off in slavery. And then again, God cuts and prunes. And the people that would say that didn't get to enter the promised land, didn't get to receive what God had, had promised. They didn't get to experience the the fullness of the the blessing of God in the the Promised Land. So those people were cut off, those people died. There's a group that went into the Promised Land. That group is often referred to as the remnant. The remnant. The, the remnant throughout the Old Testament and especially in the prophets when Israel would take over the promised land and become a nation and become great and then they would sin again. They would turn away. They would go back to their captors, their sin, their, their idols, the things that maybe they were more comfortable with. They went back to those things and then God brings these armies and destroys and takes out Israel and takes a group into captivity. And once again, this group that survives the cutting, the pruning is referred to as the remnant. You see, throughout the Old Testament, this would happen over and over and over again. And the remnant usually refers in the Old Testament to the people of God that would stay faithful to God, that would remain the remnant would remain faithful to God. They would seek God. They would worship God. They would pursue God. That's who the remnant was. And the remnant, even though they would go through trial, even though they would go through tragedy, even though they would go through hard times sometimes, the remnant was always the ones that would remain faithful to God and would receive the blessing of God. So I want to challenge you tonight. Don't go back. Don't go back to what held you in slavery. Don't go back to your captor. The remnant, this is what I want you to catch tonight. The remnant remains. The remnant remains in Christ. They seek God. They they stay with Christ. They remain in God's word. They remain in community. They remain in love. The remnant remains. They remain faithful to God. And sure, they're tempted and they may fall, but they get back up and they're crawling sometimes, but the remnant will remain. Is that you? Have you been remaining in Christ? Have you been sticking with him, abiding with him, residing with him, or is it kind of up and down and all over the place? If you want to be a part of the remnants, those that receive and experience the fullness of God's blessing, the fullness of joy, the fullness of access and freedom, then you remain. Then you remain because the remnant always remains and here's what that looks like here's what it looks like here's what happens in your life when you remain when you're part of the remnant you might remember this tree in week one and week two I've showed you this tree that used to be this old ugly shrub right here that wasn't any taller than this window We got this house, it was a foreclosure, we, we gutted it, we were remodeling it, we were doing the landscaping. And when I got this house, I was told that this little ugly bush over here was the same as this tree. And I was like, no, 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 you're, you're wrong. That's that's like some shrub, it's not that tree. And they said, no, 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 the house has been dormant. There's been no one living there for a year. It hasn't been kept, it hasn't been pruned, it hasn't been cut, it hasn't been taken care of. There's been no one remaining there to take care of it. And so it was ugly. In fact, I was gonna rip it out of the ground, but I said, no, 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 if you will cut it, if you will prune it, it will begin, one day it will look like that. Tree. And I was like, "All right." So we got out the the saw and the, and the and the and the cutters. I don't know what you call them, but we started cutting off those branches and, and we started cutting off the dead stuff and we started getting rid of some other branches so that it would grow. And I showed you the pictures of how it grew over a few years. We lived there, and then the last couple of weeks, I've shown you the pictures of how what it looked like now, like what it looks like today. Well, it still had no leaves on it because when I took the picture, I took the picture a couple months ago in the winter. I drove back by last week and it just rained. And I took this picture and you can see this tree is towering above the house, looking almost exactly like the one on the left now. This tree is fruitful, it's prospered. It's flourished. And this is what God wants for every single one of you. In fact, in his word, he gives us a great picture of this in Psalm chapter one. Check this out. He says this, oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. They are like what? Trees. These people that remain." The remnant, they're like trees planted along the riverbank. You ever seen trees that are planted along the riverbank and the way they look compared to the trees that are hundreds of yards away from the river? They're completely different. The trees along the riverbank are green. They're growing, they're flourishing. The trees that are hundreds of yards away from the river don't look quite the same. In fact, they may look dead. But the tree that's planted along the riverbank, it bears fruit each season and their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. God wants this for every single one of you to be a tree that's planted along the riverbank that remains close to the riverbank that grows and flourishes and becomes fruitful. And listen, if you will remain in Christ, if you'll stay with him, if you'll stick with him, if you'll abide, if you'll reside, then you can expect something to change in you now, but you can expect something to be different in the future. If you'll remain in Christ, the remnant always remains. Let's pray. God, as we conclude this series I can just hear you crying and calling out to us, remain in me. That same word that you gave the disciples, you're giving to us tonight, remain in me. If you'll remain in me, you'll never thirst again, you'll never hunger again, you will be satisfied, you will experience the fullness of joy and eternal pleasure at my right hand. If you will remain in me, and I will remain in you. You'll have direct access to me. You'll be filled with joy and overflowing joy and you will be free. You will be free from sin and death and fear you will be free. And so Jesus, I pray tonight as we sing, as we worship, as we close this time, God, would your freedom just rain down on this place and set people free tonight? Maybe for the first time as people give their lives to Jesus. God, maybe all over again as people come back to Christ tonight. Would you just allow freedom to reign in this place? to break the chains of whatever people are going back to, to whatever keep, they they keep going back to whatever captor they keep going back to. And God, would you place within us by your Holy Spirit's power, a longing, a desire to be this remnant that remains faithful to you. And God, I just pray Psalm one over every person in this room tonight, that they would be trees planted along the riverbank that bear fruit that never wither, that prosper. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's stand and let's worship.